Roxo Media House. Hello, Fog fans. Welcome to Post Game Beers Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Malloy at YellMK on Twitter, joined by my co-host Jacob Sailors at JD Sailors. Also joined by the Sultan of Stat, Martin Guerrero. But tonight we are very excited to preview our Shriners Children's Classic, uh, College Classic, excuse me, as our number 10 ranked Horn Frogs head south to Houston for another fun non-conference tournament. But um, we are more excited to be joined by a special guest tonight. He is a current writer for D1 Baseball, previous college baseball player at Notre Dame, and coach at Arizona State, Mike Rooney. He's been part of the ESPN broadcast for, I don't know, 14 years or so. It's, it's, uh, Mike, how how's your week going? It's good. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, who knew? 14 years. Man, I just felt 100 years old, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. Pray for the problem. Good to You've see you guys. A lot of experience with uh, college baseball, um, and you know, Mike. The four of us, we we actually met Kendall at the 2017 Shriners Classic. That was the first time we ran into him, and I, awesome. I think we bugged him so much on Twitter, and we're like, "Hey, come take a picture with us." You know, we're we're a bunch of idiots. Uh, but that was when <laughs> TCU matched up with AM and LSU, and and we had been following D1 for a long time before that. But um, there seems to be a real surge in and growth in like the game right so mm-hmm. d1 continues to add to that you guys have stellar journalism uh, you continue to add more to the website um the streaming was a new thing this year which is great uh, so i would say you are as qualified as pretty much anybody to talk about that and how it's changed since you were a player or a coach yeah i would say you know it's changed on a lot of fronts you know like when I when I first started to get to do games for ESPN in 2009, you know the company was very focused on football and basketball, and it still is. But you know, if you had a game on Friday, you might get an email from the producer of the sh- the, the game Wednesday saying, "Oh crap, <laughs> we have a baseball game this week. What should we talk about?" Now it's like I'll never forget. I was in Charlotte, you know, I don't know five or six years ago, and getting ready to do a, a studio show. And I walked into the, you know, pre-show meeting room, air quotes, and there was like 28 people in there. And I thought I had stumbled into the football meeting accidentally or something. They're like, no, 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 this is the baseball meeting. And you're like, dang, okay, things have changed. But, you know, so I think I think the television part, ESPN really loves college baseball now. You know, they they kind of own it in a lot of ways. And so that's that's been something, obviously, with squeeze play in the postseason in Omaha. And then I think the other part that's changed is the, the sport's been naturally growing. But then MLB's attitude towards college baseball has changed significantly in the last three to four years where they've shrunk the minor leagues, they've shrunk the draft, and, you know, really MLB is sending a very clear message to players that, hey, unless you're the Mike Trouts of the world, you should go to college and hone your skills there and mature as a person so that when you you know, enter professional baseball, you're really ready for an adult's world. Um, I've always felt like, I don't want to get to a place in college baseball where no high school players uh, are allowed to sign a pro contract. But, you know, we were averaging 150 high school kids a year going into pro baseball. And you just can't convince me there's 150, you know, American high school kids that are ready for the rigors of of professional baseball. So long story short, yeah, it, it, like a lot of things kind of coming together at once. But it, I, I agree with you guys. I feel like the game is really surging right now. Well, and I think the school should be credited, too, for the investment they've mm-hmm. made in baseball, right? especially, you know, kind of in the Southeast and Texas and 
along the East Coast and to an extent the West Coast. But do you think that kind of uh, hurts some of the schools who aren't able to um, to invest in their program like the bigger schools do and they're kind of getting left behind? Do you see a divide in the sport? I mean, there's there's definitely that concern, you know, that, um, you know, like I'll, I'll pick on the SEC for a second, like the SEC kind of ran ahead. And then the question becomes, is the SEC going to suffocate the rest of college baseball? I, I think one of our problems in baseball has been we've catered maybe too much to the schools that don't even offer 11.7. And I love yeah. that they're in our NCAA tournament and those types of things, but I don't want to set rules that preclude schools that want to invest in college baseball from being able to do so. So I think um, I love the structure of our NCAA tournament. I'd actually like to expand it just a tiny bit, but um, I, I think we have to let the school grow, the sport grow, because remember, Major League Baseball is kind of looking at us like, hey, you've got these great fan bases, you've got these great facilities. These are clearly really good places for players to grow up and train and, and hone their skills, but the 11.7 doesn't feel great. Um, you know, I, I think we need to continue to invest in the sport um, if, if we want to deserve the caliber of athlete that we're getting. Can you expand on that? You, you said you wanted to expand the the tournament. Now, like 64 is a pretty good number because you've got the regionals. It, it matches up nicely with a super. How does that work out with making that larger? Kyle, I've been thinking about this. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm ready for this question now. <laughs> now, now, because I'm with you. Like, I love 64, right? 64 is a clean number. It's really fun. I mean, getting to do the squeeze play, it's my favorite four days of the year. But I do worry that there are some really good seasons that we're leaving behind. I think about Wofford last year. You know, like, that's the best season in school history. And just because they got tripped up in the conference tournament, they don't make it. And, you, you know, I'm often, hey, our national champion, we almost didn't invite to our tournament. The magic number for me, so if you think about it, we're way, we're, we're well over 300 schools in Division One, and that's the argument, right? We've been expanding Division One, but we haven't expanded the tournament. If you look at baseball, less than 20% of our teams, or, or no, I'm sorry, right around 22% of our teams make the NCAA tournament, which if you lined up pro sports and everybody else, that's a really low number. So the magic number for me is 72 I'd like to see us go all three game series in the in the NCAA tournament until Omaha. And then so think about 32 sites, then 16 sites, then eight sites. And what I'd like to do is take eight sites and have a really cool sink or swim playing game on Thursday night. So Ooh. you have to play your way into that. Th and that would be, you know, captivating, I think. I mean, it'd be a way to, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to pick on Kentucky. I'm not saying I want to get 12 and 18 Kentucky into the NC tournament. No offense to them. That was a really good team that just, you know, had had some injuries. But I do like some of these mid-majors that have had really I think about Ball State a couple years ago. You know, they finished second in the MAC two years in a row, had a bunch of power five wins, and they just get squeezed out. That's yeah. extremely interesting. I mean, it's it's kind of the first time that I've heard, you know, uh, a desire to expand, but it makes sense with 300 what we said 200 teams or whatever. Yeah, we're like 305 now and growing. Like so many Division II schools keep popping into Division One, so the number's growing. I know they've there have been some chat about expanding the basketball, you know, like tournament, right? Be just because the number of teams there, and everyone's like, no, 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 don't expand. It's too big already. But it's the same argument. You know, you've got you've got so many teams across the nation that if they finish second in their mid major, then they're screwed. You know, they're they, yeah. they don't have a chance. And you can so, imagine when they when they poll student <laughs> athletes, the number one thing they talk about is. 
the, you know, the NCAA tournament was the experience of a lifetime. And and the NCAA mm-hmm. gets criticized for a lot of things, self, and they deserve it. You know, like they 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 they, they deserve the criticism in a lot of ways. But and and I've been you know. I've been critical of the NCA as much as anybody, but I will tell you this as a coach, as a player, as a fan, they do the championships, right? Like when you're, when you're participating mm-hmm. in NCA tournament um, and I, I think fans feel the same way. It's a big deal. Like you feel like a big leaguer. You feel like you're part of something special. Yeah. See, I would, I would say one change I would like to see is getting rid of automatic qualifying for the conference tournament champion and just having that uh, championship um title as kind of a bullet point on the resume rather than okay well you know we just played three months of baseball but you won for one week and now you're in the tournament uh i don't know that's something that's always kind of bugged me yeah i mean like hey that's the thing like every conference that has a bid um and, and we're, we're one less automatic qualifier this year the miac i think is the league that no longer has mm-hmm. a bait they, they don't have the six teams that are you know you can't have you, you have to have a minimum of six teams to keep your automatic bid and i think it's the MEAC that has fallen below that line um so we only have 30 automatic bids this year but i i hey i i think for the conferences where the they're they're the one the, the ones that are getting squeezed out they know who they are and do it any way you want you know like mm-hmm. make it make it unique i'm all i'm all for that yeah so uh so mike you know, one thing that we've discussed a lot is kind of this 11.7 scholarship issue and the fact that we hope that it expands. I think that would actually help a team like TCU, who is more than willing to, you know, probably offer more scholarships. Um, one team that has benefited from that is, you know, we've talked about Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not huge fans of Vanderbilt. We don't have to bash on them at all. But, you know, they've definitely been creative in the ways that they get guys on their team on scholarship. How do you see I – mean, I feel like the last year or two years has really kind of changed – a lot. And I'm I'm guessing from a global perspective, what are you guys talking about and what are you comfortable sharing on the air about NIL? Yeah, I mean, I, I think NIL is very nebulous. It's kind of like a black market, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. it, it feels very exaggerated to me. But I think it's, you know, it's not like the boogeyman. Like, it's not exaggerated where, like, we're talking about something that doesn't exist. I mean, it clearly exists. I think for me on NIL, even though there's parts of it that are a little distasteful, you know, it's more money for these baseball families such that they won't have to go into debt for their son to play college baseball. And that part I'm all for. I think what I would like to see is I would like to see, you know, I I don't want it to be where the scholarships are so immense that, you know, the max schools might as well just quit playing division one baseball. You know, like I, I like to see I'd like to let the big schools continue to invest and I'd like to, you know, not, not at the risk of just, you know, uh, making it like football where there's like 10 schools that really matter in football. Um, So, so the the ideas in my mind that work is, you know, do you expand it to 16 scholarships? Do you expand it to 23? Whatever, whatever the number becomes, I think you let schools really dive in there. The the thing that I would like to see happen is we're going to expand to a 40 man roster I would like to see that happen day one of the fall. What I don't like that's going on in college baseball right now is, you know, we 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 have 50 man, 55 man fall rosters, and then we cut 15 kids in December, and then they're kind of banished to junior college. And and that's not happening across the board, but whatever our roster is going to be for the spring, I would like to have that be in the fall. Now that that means there's going to be some difficult conversations in August, but at least the family's got 
you know, a fall semester to get somewhere and get acclimated when they get cut in December. I mean, they've just burned a year. So, you know, I, I think a, a, a capped roster with increased scholarships is a way to kind of thread that needle. Yeah. <clears throat> so to change directions a little bit, I saw something on Twitter. It was like, what, what would be your dream job if you could just have any job you want, regardless of any kind of financial or lifestyle implications, just just your job. What would it be? You know, people say this and that. And I'm thinking, man, I would love to be Mike Rooney during the regionals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that is my dream job. My dream dream job is if if squeeze play was 365 days a oh year. God. That would be gold. So that would be the best day. Oh, like, that would be the best. Happened. I used to think my dream job was I wanted when I was coaching, my dream job is I want to be a division three coach where you're you're coaching really great kids who are smart, who are not, you know. You, you really couldn't get fired unless you like, I don't know, stole the president's car or something um, <laughs> and then go coach in the Cape in the summer. And then, you know, like then you're coaching those elite athletes. But I think I think you're on to something, Jacob. Like if if there was a way that that any of us could just be paid to do squeeze play, that would be a ridiculously awesome life. You legit look like you have a ton of fun doing it. It's so. the best. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of. I give this analogy to everyone. When I was in my twenties, you know, I you, I would do fantasy football with my buddies growing up, and then on Sundays we would go to this bar, Gators, and just watch every NFL game and watch. You know, in yeah. my case, my fantasy football team fall apart, fold like a cheap <laughs> tent, and that's what that's what squeeze play reminds me of. It's like we've had this whole buildup of the year, and then you're just in this studio with a million TVs. And, and you know, the people we get to work with at ESPN, you know, the people behind the camera are so talented. I mean, yeah, like behind the camera are amazing. The producers, the directors, all, you know, it's so many talented people. And then, you know, working with people like Chris Burke and Chris yeah. Budden and Matt Schick and KP and all those guys. I mean, it's just, it is such a blast. Do you have so, a, sorry, one quick question. Do you have a go particular quad box um favorite moment that you can think of from any season it 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 does can tend to blur together i swear like a couple years ago maybe i can't remember if it was last year or two years ago where it we you know the saturday night in squeeze mm-hmm. play is amazing because it's the undefeated teams in the regional and and you know it's it's usually the home teams involved and like every screen you're looking at is just electric and i swear there was a time a, a couple years ago i can't remember the players of the teams but it was like Home run, home run, home. I mean, it was like a home run in every screen. And then, like the one that's top of mind with some recency bias, the Stillwater Regional last year was yeah. just off the charts. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, that was amazing. Mike, you've done some more writing with D one. Do you enjoy that as much as commentating, or is that kind of where your bread and butter is? I would say I, I'm more comfortable talking than I am writing. But I do love to get, I love getting to exercise that muscle, if you will, you know, like it, the, the writing forces you to, to work a different part of your brain. I, I was an accounting major in college, so by no means do I consider myself a real journalist or a real writer, but I, I do like it. It's, you know, the, um, all the stuff I get to do with D1, the podcasting, the writing, it just helps you be more in the weeds. And, and I think it helps get you ready for the end of the season. So I mean, I, I'm probably like you guys, like I still have a real day job and I love, I'm grateful for my, my day job and they're very tolerant of my college baseball habit. But, um, like anytime I get a chance to do college baseball solely, like 
you know, I, I've told people all the time, like I would literally, I would hitchhike to Omaha to clean the toilets if that meant going to the College World Series. So whatever it takes. Nice. Welcome to the podcast of the three or four of us that do the same thing. You know, that's, yeah, that's, right. that's right. we enjoy following TCU. That's obviously a, a smaller, you know, niche in our community, but uh, that, that's what we love doing. So, um, so talk, let's talk about D1 for a second. So the big 12 breakdown, they had Oklahoma state on top. I know you, mm-hmm. you cover more of the West coast teams, but OSU on top TCU in second, then tech, Oklahoma and Texas. Um, so just a couple of questions in terms of, you know, the rankings, do you think OU got that bump just from their stellar year last year, making it to the semifinals? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, the big, the big 12 is very hard to evaluate this year because, think about it, like almost all of the rotations in the league are gone. Mm -hmm. So how do you evaluate a league where everybody has to replace the rotation? The thing about Oklahoma is, you know, I think you really trust Skip Johnson to develop pitchers. And what Reggie Willits has done with that offense has been transformational. And so, you know, you you think about kids like John Spikerman being back and um, we know they've got physical talent on the mound. Now, they're off to a tough start, clearly. I mean, Oklahoma loses a home series to Cal Baptist, lost the other night to Abilene Christian. I think there's really serious question marks about them. That said, they got off to a really slow start last year, too. I mean, this time last year, we were talking about, man, is Oklahoma going to miss the tournament again? Um, Somewhat similar to Ole Miss, I suppose, in that regard. So I think the Big 12 is kind of tricky to predict. I, I, I would say that in the preseason, we were all really focused on Oklahoma and in, in Oklahoma State and TCU. Um, and then I, I feel like that's tier one, and, and I still feel yeah. that way. I feel like that's tier one in the Big 12. And then your know, Texas Tech is probably the next team that's kind of clipping at those two clubs' heels. Yeah, so it's interesting because Tech is, you know, they're undefeated. They're 10-0, but their RPI is actually, you know, pretty low. They really haven't played anybody yet. So um, we, we asked for Twitter questions. We didn't get a lot that were applicable, you know, to the conversation, but yeah. our, our guy at Doug Sloan three asks, you know, eight games into the season, do you guys see the big 12 playing out any differently than maybe the preseason expectations? I would say I, the, the, the part I see differently is I really like West Virginia. West Virginia is a team where you have to kind of throw the two. We, is okay. It, can I cut you, you off? Can I cut you Please. off, Mike? Because. Yes. Martin, who hasn't said a word tonight, went <laughs> went off on West Virginia on our preseason, you know, podcast breaking down the Big Twelve, and he is a huge fan, big big ear guy. <laughs> yeah. So so Martin, you were in on the you were in on the ear the ears. Yeah, I really liked uh, Ben Hampton. I seen what he did yes. in tape. I thought he was really good. Um, you know, Ace. You know, in the past has carried West Virginia. And uh, I really like that transfer that they got. What from Cal State Northridge or something? Traxel, Ben Traxel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. Side um, armor, yeah. It's like he's uh, like Kirk Sarlos. Yeah, he pitches I, like Los back in the day. And then he just like uh, shut out uh, Arizona, I think. Yeah. Or so, yeah, they just won yeah, a series Arizona. at Arizona yeah. on the road. That's a big win, big yeah, big so series win for sure. I, I I thought they were pretty good, and I had them as my third best team in the Big Twelve because um, I'm not really sold on on Texas Tech and. I guess a lot of people thought I was crazy. I have him as, as third or fourth. You know, like JJ yeah. Weatherholt. He, he's on my. Uh, we did a D one baseball fantasy draft for a podcast, and I got JJ Weatherholt. He's off to a great start. I just think, I think the last couple teams West Virginia had didn't really suit Randy Maisie. They yeah. got kind of prospecty and velo based, yeah. and that's really not Coach Maisie's deal. And yeah. this year's team with you know Hampton and Traxel, and um, they just seem more 
aligned and you know they, they've always been scrappy i mean they were 14 and 10 in the league last year in a different year they get in the nc tournament so um yeah it'll be interesting what's your thoughts on tcu so far i mean hey what they did at globe life was very loud i yeah. i think for tcu you know very much like the rest of the league man that that offense is really good i would put tcu's position player group up against anybody just a lot of questions to figure out still on the mound. Certainly plenty of talent, but, um, you know, especially in the bullpen, they just look really unsettled in the bullpen right now. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the numbers aren't very good, but, um, and, and the other thing, the other, you know, again, two weeks in very small sample size, I, that, that defense has got me a little spooked, yeah. you know, they're, they're kicking the ball around a little bit, but I'll tell you, like, if you're going to get into a run scoring slugging match with, with, TCU, that's not going to go well for you. I mean, TCU can really swing it. It's an older group. They can do a little bit of everything. I, I love the position player group. Yeah, it's funny because when we did our previews, you know, starting pitching was kind of our biggest worry. And the starting pitching really, for the most part, has been pretty lights out. We just having, you know, the games we've lost, it's been one bad inning from the bullpen mixed with bad defense. And here we were talking about this will be the best defensive team we've ever had. And it's just college baseball, huh? It's crazy. Yeah, and, and you guys have played a really tough schedule too now. Yeah. I, I think that's the other thing. Like, uh, I don't mean to pick on Texas Tech here, but, you know, Tech has not played a great schedule. And so I, I think they're a very good team, but it's hard to tell yet. Whereas TCU, I feel like we've got a really um, viable look at who TCU is right now and who they aren't because, I mean, you know, they, they've been playing postseason caliber teams basically every night out. Yeah, it's almost like I can't wait for conference play to start so the schedule lightens up a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Well said. I think it started under Schloss, but it's nice, you know, we've always we've gotten used to playing tough teams early on in the season, you know, or they oh, they'll take they've they've gone to a tournament in California or Arizona and this year obviously Globe Life we've got um the Shriners, you know, classic coming up which, you know, I I don't know if that is the uh you know, all top 25 teams, but still they're playing good teams early. And it's definitely different than, you know, some coastal Georgia where you're, you're actually going to lose RPI points, even if you sweep the series. Yeah. And, you know, Kirk Sarlos obviously is a Fullerton guy, you know, his roots. And that's the old Cal State Fullerton formula. Schedule your brains out early. And then when you get to the league, you know exactly who you are. Your team's really battle tested. And, you know, let's if we were to call a fish a fish right now on the Big 12, there are some wins for teams like TCU. You know, like Baylor is really struggling. Kansas is going to be in a rebuild, although I, I do. They've kind of jump started their program with some transfers. Uh, you know, I think TCU is just better than Kansas State right now. I saw them over the weekend, although Kansas State is sneaky good. So I like it. I mean, there there is the danger that you could really implode your team, but I, I don't think TCU's got that kind of team. I, I think TCU's position player group is good enough and sturdy enough that, you know, Kirk Sarlos really probably couldn't overschedule for that group because they're ready for it. All right, so looking at our um, opponents for the weekend, there's Michigan. Um, they're currently unranked. <clears throat> Excuse me, Louisville is number 14. Uh, they are 6-1, and one and uh, they don't have any great wins, but they're, they're definitely a good team this year. And, and Rice, who's also unranked um, and not doing so hot. So are there any you know, teams that, uh, you know, that, that I guess TCU opponents will, will start off specifically. I realize there's more 
teams in the tournament as a whole with AM and everything. But unfortunately, uh, the Frogs don't get to play them for whatever political reasons are going on behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, got too much of that in the postseason, I suppose. <laughs> the um, Yeah, so I would say Rice is still, you know, kind of lost at sea. You know, like I, for whatever reason, the Rice program has just lost all of their traction. And it's just shocking, you know, under Wayne Graham, gosh, that program was like, that was a top five national program. And so, you know, Rice just hasn't been very good. Um, Michigan, obviously, just three years ago, played for the national title. I mean, not not like snuck into Omaha, like they played in game three of the CWS finals. Now, that said, this is not a vintage Michigan team. They, you know, when they lost Eric Bakich, they're, they kind of had a lot of player defections. That that's kind of the the one of the the deals with the transfer portal now is when you change coaches, that your roster can really kind of take off on you. So Michigan is is has got a good, not great team. But if you play poorly, they'll beat you. And and I think Tracy Smith and his coaching staff will do a nice job there. Um, Louisville will be a heck of a matchup. Remember, Louisville is a team that hosted a regional last year. They, um, you know, they played two very hotly contested games with AM last year in the Supers. They're very, very good again. Uh, you know, TCU is very offensive, just like uh, uh, Louisville is very o- offensive, just like TCU. Their pitching is is kind of similar to you guys, where we're still trying to figure it out. But uh, I, I, I'm looking forward very much to the TCU-Louisville matchup. I think that'll be really good. Where would you rank uh, Louisville as far as the ACC team? I know they're they're pretty good this year. The ACC has a conferences. Yeah, I think so. The ACC is very bunched up. I think if you had to pick a best team in the in the ACC, you would choose between Wake Forest or Louisville or Florida State. I think I think that's probably who you would choose in the preseason. You were basically picking between Wake Forest and Louisville, and and most of us picked Wake Forest just because. Their, their pitching is pretty overwhelming. Now, they're down an arm. So all that said, mm-hmm. Martin, I, it would not shock me at all to see Louisville win the ACC this year. Yeah, they gave us fits in Louisville last year. So it's kind of like seeing them on the schedule, like, oh, God, these guys again. We had the same feeling about Florida State, too, and we lost that series. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's 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 not aggressive scheduling. That's very, very it's, aggressive scheduling. <laughs> it's like yes. I, I get to interview Los in the preseason, and he was kind of like, yeah, I, the, 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 whoever does scheduling around here might I, might need to, you know, take a time out and rethink this whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, but at least it's fun, right? For fans, That's you know, right. I I tweeted out today. I said, um, "Are Texas Tech fans bored yet? Just killing all these no names on their like for it's three weeks into the season and they haven't played a game yet." Just yeah, a bunch and, of you know, scrimmies. I think for Tech, like in a, in a normal year, playing four games with Gonzaga would be awesome. But That's Gonzaga, true. as good as they are this year. There are, or have been the last several years, they're very much resetting. You know, Gonzaga yeah. is not a program that's just going to be, you know, top 20 year after year. And then, you know, Air Force um, had a really nice team last year, but of course, Air Force's best player is now on LSU. And so um, they're certainly tricky to play. But you're right. Like the, the w- Texas Tech, when they face you guys, Oklahoma State, Texas, West Virginia, that's going to be a significant step up in class from what they've played so yeah. far. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, I lost connection there for a minute, but I guess did we cover everything in Shriners or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, just a little bit. He talked about Louisville, you know, and, and Michigan and Rice a little oh, bit. Rice. So yeah, we, we covered a little so bit. Aside, do you, do you have well, any specific say, questions? 
Yeah, I'll ask this. So from the side of the teams we play, you know, there's Texas A&M and what Texas Tech, I think, is going to be there. We just talked about them. Are there any other uh, teams or matchups or any storylines from that tournament you'll be keeping an eye on? Well, I think the two teams you just mentioned, Jacob, I think we're all very curious about. So A&M had a, just a terrible week last week. I mean, they lost three home games in one week. And I know Lamar is good. You know, Lamar started out 8-0 this year and I didn't even realize this. Lamar won 37 games last year. One of the things that's tricky, I'm going to make an excuse for myself. One of the tricky parts of following Lamar right now, I know it's a good baseball program, but they keep switching leagues, right? Like they were (laughs) Southland and then they're in the whack and now they're back in the Southland. And so it's kind of a shame, no offense to the Southland, but man, the whack is really good in baseball this year. Think about Grand Canyon and Sam Houston State and Sac State and Cal Baptist, et cetera. But that said, you know, no, no harm in, in losing to Lamar and then, you know, losing uh, a home series to Portland where you're three outs from getting swept. Um, so that was, you know, the A&M offense, which we all liked a lot in the preseason, hasn't hasn't done much. But, uh, you know, they did lose a home series to Penn last year, too. And and that turned out OK. And then Texas Tech, I think, you know, you guys have seen this with Texas Tech as since Tim Tadlock has been there, you know, count them out at your own peril. And even though we didn't love Texas Tech's roster in the preseason, you just kind of feel like Tim Tadlock's going to figure some stuff out. And so far, so good. Um, it's just the roster's not as famous as it usually is. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of curious to see how that plays out. It's the first first year in, what, seven years? They haven't had a young in the lineup. Yeah, right. <laughs> and those were good players. Yeah, that yeah. was that's a significant uh, depletion from their roster. Not sure if you saw um, Schloss's comments after that last game. They they had you know definitely gotten some feedback from the fans, I guess in the in the front row, and I found that very interesting because um, either he wasn't prepared for it, or or maybe we weren't that bad at TCU. You know, I just it was uh, it was interesting. He was he was very upset at kind of the feedback, negative feedback, you know, to the players, which I, th- I yeah. found interesting. Yeah, and I, and I would say you know for 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 Schloss at TCU, you know, like. Hey, it was kind of his program, you know, like, I mean, obviously, um, I, I think when you, when you see a clip like that on Twitter, you know, my first reaction is kind of like alarmed, you know, cause yeah. you just feel like, man, when a head coach has a reaction like that, you're just worried, man, that that guy is going to get filleted. But I would also say, and you guys, I don't know, I'd be curious if you agree with this. That's kind of what makes Schloss so great at this is that you could, Jim Schlossnagel could be the CEO of my day jobs company. Like he's that brilliant. Like he's got he, you know, like the 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 holistic view of a program. He doesn't miss any details. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he would be a superstar in corporate America. But man, what you saw in that clip is he really cares. Like this is an emotional endeavor for Jim Schlossnagel. And so I think that's you know, hey, if I was Jim Schlossnagel's life coach, would mm-hmm. I tell him to? you know, go after the fans in a post-game interview? No, I would tell them absolutely do not do that. Yeah. But I, I like part of me is like, hey, that's that's what makes Slosh great. It's like he really cares about this. Like this is, there, you know, as he would tell you, there there are no hobbies in that household. It's like they wake up doing college baseball and they go to bed doing college baseball. Speaking of TCU coaches, you are, you are planning to go to Round Rock this weekend to cover that tournament and uh, Ohio State's in it. And we were talking before we hit record that you got to coach with Bill Moziello. Yes. Yeah. Frisco, actually. So I did Round Rock last week. Oh, Frisco. Frisco. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 You're good. Yeah. So yeah. Bill Moziello, I've known forever. Love Bill. You know, like, hey, 
the, the that kind of original TCU coaching staff, Schlosh and um, you know, Mo and and Los. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And then you go to four straight Omaha's, it's just incredible. But yeah, in, in uh, the year um when Mo left Oklahoma, which was the season of 2021, um, you know, we had an opening and uh, Pat Murphy, who was our head coach at Arizona State at the time, you know, we we hired Mo to finish the season, and it was so fun. I mean, he just he's one of my favorite people. He's uh, you know, he's kind of like college baseball rain man. Um, you know, he's someone I, I lean on Mo. You know, like when I have a question about baseball, like a baseball strategy question that I'm having a tough time getting my arms around, the Mo's my first call. Um, I, I just I respect his baseball opinion so much. And so that's why you guys were so, you know, so fortunate there for so yeah. long with, I mean, you know, Jim Schlossnagel and Kirk Sarlos and Bill Moziello as, as the core of your coaching staff. I mean, that's one of the great coaching staffs in college baseball in the last 30 years. Just incredible. We yeah, are no kidding, extremely yeah. fortunate, you know, in Fort Worth and um, and we don't we try not to take it for granted. I think I think we have before. And then we went to four World Series and we're like, why are we going back? But it's really hard to get there. You know, really yeah, hard to get there. Um, Mike, we uh, are so grateful for joining us tonight. You know, we've uh, I know we know you have a busy schedule and Kendall has stood us up, you know, enough to question. No, but we're, we're fans. We'll continue to follow you on ESPN and D1. Is there anything else that you want to plug tonight for, for the folks listening? Yeah, so Mike Farron and I have a show on SiriusXM, which is cool that SiriusXM is getting on the college baseball bandwagon, and it's called This Week in College Baseball. It runs on Thursday nights, and Mike Farron is awesome. He does Power Alley for MLB Network on SiriusXM. He also loves college baseball, so that's another cool thing that we get to do. So, you know, just like for you guys, I mean, I'm just so thrilled to see our sport that we love grow and uh, more people recognize it. So, yeah, really, really appreciate you guys having me. This was fun. All right. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us, Mike. Um, have a great season. We certainly will uh, in Fort Worth. Uh, looking forward to it. And we hope to, uh, hey, maybe we'll meet you in, in Omaha, you know, in June. Let's do, <laughs> let's do that. Hilton Bar. I'll see you there. All right. Nice. Thanks, thanks Mike. Mike.